Supporting LGBTQ workers in the workplace. According to the Human Rights Campaign Study, a workplace divided understanding the climate for LGBTQ workers nationwide, 46% of LGBTQ workers are closeted at work. 50% of non-LGBTQ workers don't believe they have any LGBTQ workers in their workplace. And 28% of LGBTQ workers are totally closeted both in the workplace and in their personal lives. While we've seen great strides for LGBTQ equality and advocacy for rights, many efforts have fallen short to foster an inclusive, safe, and respectful workplace for all. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by a member of my Ronset Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Already crew, Tracy Goldstein. Today, we're speaking with the extraordinary Malik Brown. He is an LGBTQ advocate and political strategist who's been featured on CNN, NBC News, and The Hill. Malik's writings have been showcased in Cosmopolitan, them, and Out Magazine. He has been a keynote speaker for well-known global brands such as Meta, The Home Depot, and Mercedes-Benz. He is the Director of LGBTQ Affairs for the City of Atlanta, as well as a proud Executive Committee member of the Human Rights Campaign's National Board of Governors. Welcome, Malik. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here, and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Thank you so much for joining us. We're just so excited to have you, and we really appreciate your time. We know you're super busy this month. So, Malik, let's jump right in. This report that's presented in the HRC report is eye-opening, yet not surprising. When you look back over your career journey, how important was it to be able to be open about being a member of the LGBTQ community? Yeah, when you look at the journey of sort of self-acceptance and self-discovery, even just through members of the LGBTQ community, um, we often have lived through our own secrecy and shame along our journey. And so as adults and professionals, being able to, you know, bring your authentic self at work is certainly at the top of my priority list when I'm thinking about potential employers and just working uh, for the city of Atlanta, which is steadfast in its support for LGBTQ employees and constituents and really allows me to bring 100% of who I am to work is a deal breaker for me. And so I am grateful to work in the mayor's office, which has like such a great culture about it when it comes to acceptance and um, really just belonging. That was great, Malik. Thank you so much for sharing your, you know, your story. Moving on to my next question, Often people challenge what they view as different instead of normalizing that differences are what make us uniquely human. I read a quote recently by Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas Airlines, who stated, you cannot get the full potential of people in your business if people have to hide who they are and cannot contribute to the organization because they are scared of the impact we'll have on their career progression. As a diversity practitioner, I'm continuously looking for ways that can unite us versus divide us. And these words really resonated with me on so many levels. What are the missed opportunities organizations experience when they are not tapping into the full potential of their workforce, including the LGBTQ workers? Yeah, I think as um, people continue to get younger and younger and uh, generations continue to enter the workforce, people are identifying in so many different ways than they did before because they have different options. There's more visibility now. And so we're only going to continue to see an increase of LGBTQ people in the workforce. And so I think the first thing that stands out to me is really just if you're not promoting and ensuring a inviting and belonging culture, you're going to lose out on talent. Um, So when you think about any member of the LGBTQ community, especially the younger folks, 
I would really like to think that we are innovative and creative and our unique lived experiences really give us um, some perspective and insight that other communities might not have. And so if you really aren't prioritizing the needs of the LGBTQ community and other diverse communities, you're really just missing out on uh, some really good workforce talent. And the other thing that comes to mind is, especially with the um, Supreme Court ruling in the summer of 2020 that said uh, you can't discriminate against a worker because of their LGBTQ status, you know, you're companies could potentially open themselves up to lawsuits, which are really expensive. And the other thing that I think about recruiting is retention rates. So we know it's really expensive to do searches for certain roles, and it's really expensive to bring in new employees. And so if your retention rates are low, you're also just spending extra money when you could just be inclusive and really promote the LGBTQ community and acceptance throughout the workplace. That is excellent. Those are excellent points, Malika. I agree with those wholeheartedly. You know, we are a recruitment company at Ronstadt, and we proud ourselves being the number one human capital provider in the world. And we just appointed our new global CEO, um, Sandra Van Orden, who is openly and proud to be part of the LGBTQ community. So I think it's getting to be more and more of a important part of, you know, the career trajectory and part of the story. And I'm happy that you're sharing some of that with us, our listeners here today. So uh, let's pivot and talk about business resource groups or employee resource groups. You know, I think, you know, I'm really proud. We've got some great business resource groups at Ronstad, and one of them is our Pride BRG, and they do a phenomenal job with keeping LGBTQ topics top of mind at Ronstad and awareness and trainings, and they're great partners to our team in diversity. However, what are your thoughts on self-education? I ask this because sometimes it seems that the diverse group becomes solely responsible quote-unquote, responsible for educating others versus people reaching out and attempting to do their own research and educating themselves? Yeah, that's an incredible question. I think, you know, the first thing that I would say is that I think self-education is so important. In the day and age that we live in, you can grab a book at your local bookstore or on Amazon or any service that you use to procure your books for just about any topic, whether it's related to race or, you know, life as a gay person or life as a trans person or even life as a bi person. And so I think there are so many resources available that self-education is so important. Oftentimes, and, you know, I I know we're going to talk a lot about intersection coming up, But living at the intersection of a Black man and a gay man can sometimes, I mean, it's frankly fabulous, and thank you. Uh, Thank God that I'm this way. But, like, sometimes it can get exhausting um, when you look at, you know, whether things happen that are anti-racist or things happen that are anti-LGBTQ. And as transparent as of a person I am, sometimes it's just exhausting having to explain to people uh, why something is wrong or why it's not just. And so I really appreciate when folks do uh, some work, whether it's through reading a book, whether it's through, uh, you know, watching a documentary. Honestly, in 2022, you can get educated on TikTok. Yes. And so I think there are just so many avenues to educate yourself. And I think I personally really appreciate it when people do that. Now, with that being said, there are just certain times and nuances that... um, maybe people can't get 
the exact question that they're looking for through a book or through other means. And so I think I think that's the time to reach out to someone that you trust and have a good relationship. Probably not, you know, a stranger, but someone that you know you have that developed relationship with. I think that's when it's appropriate and acceptable to reach out. But I would say certainly doing some self-education on the front end is important. You hit the nail on the head on that, Malik. I, I can't tell you how... I have consulted so many people, you know, clients, different people we interact with from diversity and perspective. And the first thing I say is, look, you know, I think one of the, the challenges is that you wouldn't ask somebody who is has a terminal illness to cure their illness, you know, and, and give you the, the steps to the cure, right? You would go and try to educate yourself how to help that person, you know, so, and be a good ally and support of that person. So, you know, it's just like asking someone to, hey, we've been dealing with microaggressions, but you got to you got to figure it out, you know, on your own about how to solve that problem. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited to pass it off to my colleague, Tracy Goldstein, who's going to dig deeper and get some more wonderful nuggets from you. Tracy. Thanks, Audra. Glad to be here with you both. Uh, Malik. Last year, our team started the Flourishing Under Fire series, and we started with The Future of Black Men. And then this year, we followed it up with Courageous Conversation with a variety of topics, including creating a more positive work environment for LGBTQ workers. You touched on this a little bit briefly before, but as you are at the intersection of BIPOC and LGBTQ, what does it mean for you to be seen and heard in the workplace and beyond? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And again, living at that intersection um, is incredible. Sometimes it can be exhausting depending on the social situations. Um, But I think really just being in a space that allows you to bring your Blackness to work and your queerness to work and everything in between is just really, really nice. Um, I am fortunate And it's the first time I've been in this situation. But if you know anything about Atlanta City Hall, it is a, by and large, a majority Black-led organization. We have folks from every single background represented in city government and throughout the mayor's office and city council. But a majority of our elected officials and staff are Black. And it's the first time I've ever really been in this situation where I didn't have to think about culturally, you know, is this too much or, you know, am I going to scare people off? And it's also one of the first times that I've been like, you know, I can come to work and talk about RuPaul's Drag Race or, you know, a drag brunch that I went to (laughs) or, you know, anything. And so it's just really nice to be able to be in a space where my intersecting identities feel like they belong. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. You know, bring your whole self to work. Thanks for sharing. So building off the previous question, what is your why? Why is the work that you do meaningful to you personally? And what drives you to wake up every day and keep you keep up with the great advocacy and support? Thank you. Um, I think there are a couple of things that really drive me. One, on my mother's side, I'm a first-generation American Uh, My mom's side of the family comes from Trinidad and Barbados. And so growing up in a family of immigrants, one, I saw how they were treated differently than people who were born here. And it honestly took me decades to figure out the sort of microaggressions and other things that I just would not have picked up on as a child. But if you know anything about immigrant families, 
there's so much expectation for the kids to overachieve uh, because of the sacrifices made. Um, you know, my grandmother brought our family over to the United States in the 60s and had me in the 90s. And so my grandma really made sacrifices so that I would have a better future and that some of my other relatives would have a better future. And so thinking about the way that um, immigrant families operate, there really is just this expectation of service and that you're going to give back and that you're going to um, you're going to accomplish more than your ancestors. The other thing is I am a lifelong Atlantan, so I'm just passionate about the city of Atlanta. I feel like the city has given me so much and the city has such a long and rich history and civil rights. And so it almost feels not almost, it does feel like an honor to give back to my hometown. Not a lot of people can say that they you know, are working in the government of their hometown and they're getting to affect policies and programs and initiatives in the same place that they grew up. And so it really is just you know, an honor and a privilege to give back. And the last thing that I'll say is I grew up reading comic books I'm a huge Marvel fan. And so, you know, you can talk to me all day about the X-Men and the Avengers and Spider-Man and any sort of Marvel character. But if you read the X-Men, the X-Men is really a civil rights allegory because they were born different and persecuted because of it, but still made sacrifices to, to better the world. And so thinking about that, there's... I mean, the fight for LGBTQ rights is on and raging every single day. Of course, we've made great strides like the Supreme Court decision and the workplace that I told you about that happened a couple of years ago. Marriage equality is, we are used to it by now, but still relatively new in the grand scheme of things. But there's so much left to fight for. You know, if you looked at state legislatures this year, it was just brutal for transgender kids and you look at states that passed these so-called don't say gay bills where you can't teach about LGBTQ status before a certain age, but those kids are allowed to read books like Cinderella, which is a romantic story between a man and a woman. They just can't read any stories where LGBTQ people show up. And so that feels a little, not a little, it feels very hypocritical and a step in the wrong direction and, you know, there are other states that are trying to trying to ban like drag brunches and simple things like that, that, you know, you experience and are so much fun. And if you go to any of these places or any of these events, you see they're the most welcoming things. Drag queens are, frankly, they're very shady, but they're the nicest and like most inclusive group. And they always want you to have a good time. So thinking that, you know, they're lawmakers in this country who would just want to ban something like that when I feel strongly that we have significantly deeper priorities to focus on. Uh, So that was a very, very long answer. But I think the last piece of that is there's just so much to fight for. And I am in a position that I can do it. And I get to work with incredible advocates all across the country and the globe who are also in this fight. But I'm proud to be uh, one of the people in it. Thank you. Like you said, it was a long answer, but it was a fantastic answer. And I liked the insights and um, especially the Marvel references. Um, <laughs> that was that was interesting how you did that. I like that. So thank you. Moving on, 
The HRC study contains wonderful data points on both LGBTQ and non-LGBTQ workers and their thoughts on the importance of sharing in the workplace. Oftentimes, people have good intentions around inclusion, but they don't really know how to actively be an ally. What kind of tips do you have on how non-LGBTQ workers and leaders can be better allies? Yeah, I think the first thing is really just putting your money where your mouth is. It's great to have, um, you know, like for our corporate partners, it's great to have Pride Month activations and to do the Pride logo and have Pride merch. That is incredible. It warms my heart every time I walk into like a Target and there's a whole Pride section. But really making sure that your policies and we can dive into some of the policies that I feel like make the work place better. But um, I think your policies have to match, your corporate giving has to match, and, you know, just the workplace in general, the feel has to match what you say that you're doing. And the other thing is, I think we touched on it earlier, I think that self-education piece is so important. Even me as someone who is in this movement, and I think about LGBTQ people every hour of every day because it's my job and it's my life. Um, there's terminology that sometimes I have never heard of before. You know, I will think that I have like, wow, I'm, I know every single word that we use in our, our gay dictionary and I'm like really up to date. And then someone will hit me with a term that I've never heard before. And so, you know, I go into education mode, I hop right on Google or YouTube and teach myself. And if I don't understand it, that's when I go to someone who might have more information that I trust and have a relationship with. And the other thing that I'll say about allyship is mistakes happen. Everyone makes mistakes. I don't think it's about making the mistake. I think it's about how you move past it. So if you accidentally misgender someone or use maybe a previous name that they used, just make sure that you acknowledge it and apologize and move on. I think oftentimes people operate from a place of fear. And so they're almost afraid to talk about certain things. And so I think just, you know, when these mistakes happen, just acknowledge it, apologize and move on. And nine and a half times out of 10, the person on the other side of that will be grateful and probably respect you more because you acknowledge it. Absolutely. Totally agree. All right. So my last question McKinsey and Company put out a great report called Diversity Wins, How Inclusion Matters, which states that companies who are leading in DNI are transparent about tackling microaggressions and other negative behavior that impede inclusion. Have you openly experienced any microaggressions in your career? And if so, how did you navigate through those issues? I have. Um, that certainly earlier in my career, certainly before having this role, I remember a time where someone came to me and was like, I was new and was like, you know, I think it's so gay or I think it's so great that like we have gay people here, but like, as long as you don't flirt with me, like we'll be fine. And it kind of threw me off um, because one, he wasn't my type. Um, and <laughs> two, I was just, you know, when someone says something to you and you're just like, wait, did you like actually say this? Mm-hmm. I am a very like direct and bold person. I try my best to not operate from a place of fear. So I just 
corrected him and was like, it's not okay for you to say this to me and you don't have to worry about that anyway. I would not advise the listeners to pick a fight with anyone, but I think knowing what your boundaries are and you know when they've been crossed, I think there are respectful ways to sort of set your boundaries. And then, you know, when it's a little bit more difficult or maybe it's someone in a leadership position, I think, you know, there are other tools like talking to HR or talking to your supervisor, or if you have an employee resource group or a business resource group, you know, working it out through there. But um, for me, I usually just handle them head on. Thanks for sharing. All right. I'm going to pass it back to Audra. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Malik. That was phenomenal. So let's pivot and talk about COVID-19. One of the things, I don't know, Malik, you're probably in eyeballs deep working for the, a, a government entity about COVID-19, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but I have to say that one of the effects of that has been this great resignation or the great reset or the great reimagining, whatever people want to call that. You know, the HRC report clearly indicated that LGBTQ workers would leave their current role for an employer that is more inclusive. I mean, that I think all of us would do that regardless of what diverse demographic group we affiliate with. But as we continue in this tight labor market, what should LGBTQ workers look for when determining their next job opportunity to determine if that employer would be a good fit for, for them and they could feel like they're welcomed and can be their authentic selves there? Yeah, I think I, I think this ties into the previous question or the one right before it. I would really look at policies and, you know, it's a privileged thing to say, but this is to your point, this is the workers market. Like people get to choose where they go now. They don't have to take the first job offer because someone's going to be offering a higher salary. Someone's going to have more vacation days. And so I think in this workers market, um, what I would encourage folks to look for is policy. So of course, we all love a good salary and benefits package. So frankly, that would actually be the first thing that I look at. But after that, looking at policies like, does your organization have all gender restrooms? Does it pay for gender reassignment surgery for our trans siblings? Are you able to put your pronouns in your email signature or, um, or on your employee badge? Does the company do things exactly like we're doing today, like having a podcast recording or a lunch and learn? Do they offer trainings? Do they have an employee resource group? The list goes on and on and on. But I think making sure that the employer has some policies on the books so that, you know, when it's time to transition or when you want to add your pronouns to your um, signature or maybe when you want to have the pride summer barbecue that, you know, these things are on the books and no one can challenge you on them. But that is certainly what I would encourage people to look for if they want to be able to bring their authentic self to work. Those are great tips, Malik. Thank you for those. I have one last question, Malik. This is such a great conversation. I can't believe how quickly we've gotten through this, but you've been such a wonderful guest. I'd love to ask you, what do you want your legacy to be that your family and loved ones remember the most? Oof, that is a tough question. I think in this role, I think it's a two-part answer for me. In this role, I would love, and it's not going to be me who carries a torch over the finish line, but I would love to see this role not need to exist someday. It is great. We are doing innovative and great things, but I would love to see a day where this role doesn't even need to exist because 
we are all just in a space where LGBTQ people aren't any different. So that's part one. I would say, you know, I think about my late grandmother who did make so many sacrifices and who, you know, used cleaning homes of Harvard professors as a way to bring her family to America, which had to have been scary for her. I just want her to be proud and I want the rest of my family and loved ones to be proud. Indeed, Malik Brown, and they will be and are proud of you as you are doing phenomenal work in the LGBTQ community and as well as into our local government in Atlanta. Malik, thank you so much. You brought some wonderful nuggets today to our listeners. Thank you, Tracy from Our Ready Crew, for another fantastic conversations. Also want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We appreciate your support. Malik, quickly, can you tell people how to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can reach out to lgbtq at atlantaga.gov. That email comes right to me. I'm also at Malikio on Instagram. It's M-A-L-I-K-E-O on Instagram. Excellent. And we have your wonderful website, malikbrown.com. All right. In the words of James Baldwin, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Remember that when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone's actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in the world, your workplace and community. Thank you.